0: Welcome to Story Archaeology's Stories in the Landscape Conversations on Mythology with Chris Thompson at StoryArchaeology.com. Today I get to talk with storyteller and educator Anne Geraghty Smith. Hello everyone, today I get to talk with Anne Geraghty-Smith, a writer and a storyteller who, with her colleague Annette Cockery, has been running the innovative Hardar Heritage and Community Centre in County Longford since 2011. But I think that's quite enough from me. Anne, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, hello Chris and everyone. I'm I'm delighted to be with you today. I've been following Story Archaeology for a long time. Uh, You do wonderful work and I'm really... quite excited to be a tiny part of it. You're welcome. So, um yeah, I won half of Creative Arda and Scales Pio. Um Annette Corkery myself set up as Creative Arda in um, twenty eleven in uh, in this old school house in Arda Village. The building itself is like from eighteen ninety eight. It was a school and we've been continuing the education uh, in this in the building since then because everything we do is you know, creative and educational and to do with the heritage and the history of the area. I just want to tell you where Art is, like this little hidden, I don't know, magical place that you have to aim to go to, because uh, even though it's 10 minutes from Ballymatton and Edgertown and Longford, it's not on the road to anywhere, so you have to be coming to it. It's quite
0: off the beaten track, but well worth
1: discovering yeah yeah it is it really is it's 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 a little gem it's like um this stone village uh from the past, just sitting there <laughs> yeah, so we have to kind of create events and workshops to get people to come so we 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 became part of the discovery primary science and maths discovery center network, and we're also with the herchel schools and yeah, so we've done a lot of events to get people to come there and then um well, COVID kind of put a stop to a lot of what we do so we started uh, putting the energy we were putting into the building into ourselves and we we're both re-educating and I'm doing a master's in world heritage conservation and I've done a course on children in permaculture and storytelling in Irish and Annette's been pursuing more advanced permaculture and herbalist course and we're constantly learning <laughs> and uh, we're constantly reading and researching the mythology as well and the uh, heritage of the area and creating stories, plays, poetry for them. And of course, the one that we are immersed in all the time is the wooing of a Tain, because we love we live here under the shadow of uh, Brilé. And actually, it's how we found you, <laughs> how we found Story Archaeology, because you've done so much work on that. And then also how we ended up asking you and all the other storytellers to come to our Scalte Festival a few years ago. It was at that that you all, you all reminded us that we were storytelling all the time, so we became Skiltebriol living stories.
0: Skiltebriol—it's a perfect title. It's an excellent description of our Irish stories. It's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a great. It's a great name, actually. And I can't say I got it. now. it was Annette. <laughs> she, uh, she had that uh, ruminating in her head for a long time, and you know, she was busy doodling it before she came to me and said, "I've, a, I have a name," <laughs> and it is quite perfect uh, because. Uh, It does explain what we are. We are living stories. We we dress up. You know, we more or less perform the story, really. And we try to bring the audience into it as much as we can as well.
0: It is. I stuck to stories in the landscape, but we do share an approach in common. That, you know, handing the stories to children, getting them to play the characters, using lots of props and costumes where needed and just getting them immersed in the stories. I have every every appreciation of what you're doing.
1: You have to kind of make them feel as real, <laughs> if you
0: like. And this is really exciting because today we've got two storytellers sharing what they like to do best. We shouldn't bore our listeners, but let's indulge just a bit. When I encountered written versions of stories as a child, and that was, I have to admit, a very long time ago, they were at the time presented as, well, I suppose, archaic. Slightly outlandish. And yet I tell them because, well, they're down to earth, often extremely funny and with a great solidity, presenting characters who have adventures that, how do anything found in the Marvel Universe?
1: <laughs> the Marvel Universe, yeah. Um, well, actually, yeah, they're way better than Marvel, although I have to say it. I am a fan of Marvel, <laughs> but, but yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, we often refer to Norse legend heroes that Marvel have uh, incorporated into their stories, uh, and uh, even some of their creations. Like so, to you know, to get into the minds of the children that that these, these characters are as good as Marvel. I like, so we'd let them know that Mither from the Wing of a of a is very much a trickster, a shapeshifter. One to watch your back with, like Loki, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah,
0: you're really right there. He hands that on to Mananan as well. This idea of the, the trickster, I, I agree with you. I think it comes from the stories of Mither, but go on anyway. I interrupted you.
1: No, you're fine. No, that's that's yeah, yeah, I oh, definitely go oh, Mananan and Mither. Yes, we could go there too, <laughs> but um. Cuckolan then as well when you're talking about him I uh, you know when you're doing the scene where he's transforming and he's fighting it yeah
0: the battle frenzy
1: I like to kind of let them think about the hulk you know you wouldn't like me when I'm angry kind of because they understand the hulk so then they go oh Right, and then even with Angus, like I always remind them that he had a cloak of invisibility long before Harry Potter had. Do you know, <laughs> so we, we like to get um our audience involved in the stories by you know transforming themselves like as well in like maybe into the butterfly or swan or whatever. Um, and I was just thinking there. Um one of our favourite physicists was from an active age group. So there's this lovely lady. She must have been in her 80s and she had her Zimmer frame and she was walking along, you know, and oh, she was just beautiful, you know, a beautiful, beautiful woman. And she played a teen for us uh, to perfection. She loved having the the... The butterfly wings on her, and one of her male friends then came along, and he borrowed her frame to be his horse, <laughs> and he pranced around his mither, and they had so so much fun. Yes, yeah, so that was a lovely day. The legends—they're not just archaic and boring in the books that people might think they could be so much fun. It, it, this last two years has been difficult in a way because we do them together a lot, and we had to separate for heritage in schools because you, you're meant to do it as a separate individual. But it has helped us develop more, do you know. So. But it has been an unusual year.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. How, how did you first come to gain a particular interest in the Irish stories,
1: from one storyteller to another? The Irish legends, I think it was really because when I was in school, we had these lovely books on the Irish legends. They were really pretty with um, lovely drawings and everything. And the one that stuck with me was at the time was Dear to the Sorrows. That really sat with me. I used to read it over and over. Um, so that was for me. Um, and Annette then went to school in Arda Village here. So she knew the story of um from a young age. And um, she did. She then carried it on and did a college project, art project on it. Whereas I actually didn't know that legend until I came to Arda. And uh, I've been immersed in it, trying to unravel its mystery ever since. I can't get away from it. (laughs) Um, you know, but, um, yeah, we've been both telling and writing stories a long time. It's kind of nearly like, when did it begin? I don't know. It it comes quite naturally.
0: (laughs) And I gather, I I think you said earlier, you're now beginning to share stories of Squelga.
1: I like, I'm we're trying to, you know, we both, we both uh, go to many Gale School and, uh, and uh, we have connections to the local one. Like, I was on the founding com- committee of Longford Gale School and uh, heavily involved in setting that up. And I, I had two children in it, and Annette has thought in it on and off for years. And she's done a lot of work in the garden there this year. But um, over lockdown, I did an online course in storytelling in Irish, which was very helpful because. Uh, I wasn't confident. I was always aware of the grammar, you know, um, and the, the, the gentle course that I did with uh, Gail Gore from Kerry, and they've such lovely Irish, um, just reminded me that is Far Gail Gabrishna and which is like broken Irish is better than clever English. So give it a go, do you know? And that's the only way the language will stay alive is if we try and speak it and share it.
0: I think that's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm really impressed and quite jealous, quite envious. <laughs> uh, I, I do my best, but the trouble is under Isolde's influence, I ended up learning more early Irish than modern Irish, which really wasn't much help. Um, it was a bit like an English woman saying, Oh, I don't speak English, but I do speak Anglo Saxon. So <laughs> keep going. I think you're doing fantastically.
1: Yeah. Well, I, yes, I'm very nervous about it. but I do try, you know, um, to do it and just even throwing a couple of fuckle in a few words every so often as you're going along the story as they come to you because they do come to you when you do it more and more Something I
0: wanted to come back to is right at the head of your website is the line, 5,000 years of stories begin here. And I think you've captured something very important. I mean, obviously, we know that the textual age of the stories goes back around 1,200 years at best, with the addition of another, say, 200 or so years for spoken language evidence. But there's another level. The stories encode so much information about the landscape in which which they're set, And there is observation and curiosity about the past that still has much to share with us.
1: Yeah, I know. We do say 5,000 years. Uh, People forget that the stories are much older than the manuscripts. Arda was lived in for a long time, like the 40 or give or take 40 ring forts in the area. And the legend of the wooing of Atene is describing describing a time of the two of the Danon and the, we like to think that they were shared orally for a long, long time before they were finally written down. We're we're finding also like that archaeology and science are catching up with the stories and that they have important information about the landscape and how to treat the landscape. Yeah, it's just uh I we do we do we think that uh it just kind of makes people think about the fact that we were here a lot longer.
0: No, they did, the history didn't begin when somebody decided to write down the stories. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's why I'm admiring the 5,000 years of stories. It, it encapsulates so much more than just the time of the texts. Well, yeah. I think that's great.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Now, you've already mentioned that for more than 10 years, you and Annette have been running the Ardar Heritage and Creative Centre.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: We've been talking about how it is located in this special stories in the landscape place. Yes. But the centre itself is a great resource and a beautiful and
1: lively place.
0: Would you mind telling us something more about it?
1: Yeah, yes, of course. Um. Well, as I said, it's an old school house and uh, it was converted first into a a heritage centre in the 90s. It actually was one of the first ones in the country. It's located in the neighbourhood park, which is a large garden area with a linear native deciduous forest. So, um, yeah, that in itself is special. It's also located in one of the prettiest villages in Ireland, if I do say so myself, (laughs) with lots of stories in history.
0: I'd agree with you it is one of the prettiest villages
1: it is very pretty <laughs> yeah. and um, it's also uh, oh, over the years we've created events camps workshops tours to promote the building Arda the local creatives uh, and Longford's like um, to get people to Longford because there's connections to other places as well and we're currently uh, reorganizing it a bit we have a craft shop which is online now. Actually, that happened over COVID, so a positive thing. Um, we have Creative Art and Craft Shop, so it's just uh, www. dot Craftshop dot com. I'll add the link. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Thank you so much. But yeah, so that was one positive that came up because we were talking about it for a long time and never got round to it, and then COVID came. So, uh, so our craft shops up online, uh, and we've like products from fifty or more local artists, um, craftspeople, writers from Longford, Leitrim, Muscommon, uh, Cavan, Westmeath, so all the surrounding area. And uh, we also give guided tours of the village. We've streamlined down our events. We were doing an awful lot of events over the years. So we've kind of streamlined down to the more significant ones, which is Bilbury Sunday, which is the last Sunday of July. And that involves a walk on Brelay, And we normally have a speaker in the centre after that. This year it's Anthony Murphy from Mythical Ireland. We started that event with our, with uh, Brenda Farrell, a friend of ours, and he's a local horticulturist, and he actually he's a, another storyteller himself, <laughs> although he doesn't fish, officially say is, but he really is, you know. Um, and we started that when there was no path on the hill, and um, we had to climb through brambles and through puddles of muck. And I remember one year my husband carrying someone who decided to come in her flip flops <laughs> on his back. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great fun. <laughs> so anyway, along for tourism through the Towns and Villages scheme have created an actual pathway there and we helped them prepare the proposal. So um so that has been good. And then uh, we um we're also continuing with Bridges Day because we've always done a cross making workshop and we join in with the local walk to bridge as well. I mean, they're still carrying on that tradition. And we do Art de Fry Fest at Halloween with transition year groups and writers. And last year we joined in with Cor- Corlea Trackway uh, for their sound celebrations. So yeah, so just keep an eye on the page to see what we have, because we are kind of rejigging it a bit, but we we will have events and different things on.
0: We're still in the stage where we have to just see what happens. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually quite helpful in some ways because it makes you constantly think of new and interesting ideas, even though you never know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, I think what both of us are really looking forward to discussing most are your special stories in the landscape, the
1: stories in the landscape of Arda itself. Um, oh, yes. Well, Arda has so many stories. I mean, from, Early Christianity and the Monastery of St. Mel uh, to the time of the Featherston family and how Goldsmith was inspired to write She Stoops to Conquer based on the fact that he decided that uh, the daughter of the house was a servant girl and he'd have his way with her. Don't think I knew that. Yeah, that's a funny one. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it was actually locals in the pub who, who told him that was a hotel, you know. So he was, there they are always tricksters in Ireland. They must be inspired by Mither, which is actually the one we're mildly obsessed with, the wing of a tane. So um, Brilé is, is is so important in that legend. I mean, uh, it's it's where is that? Which is really interesting when you think about how important it is in the story, but there's no real evidence here on the landscape for that i mean there's a number of ring forts that maybe could tell us something and i did hear about a site where there's a king buried standing up mm, interesting which i have to look into because i'm finding that fascinating and then there's um that There's a story of standing stones that were destroyed, that were grounded down to create roads, um, but there's no mound like Newgrange around Makkah or Tara. There are local stories of a golden castle under the hill, which I think might be people mixing up Mither with Midas. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe not because uh, there's also a lot of quartz on the hill and quartz is meant to be uh, evidence of gold. <laughs> So, um, and there's been exp- explorations for gold, so which we're kind of worried about because it's on the uh, down Longford massive, uh, and our government has decided to uh, give license to to mine that area. So I'm hoping they don't. Oh, no, it couldn't. Not there. I think it's too important. Do it here. Um. Yeah. Well, I hope not. But who knows? But. <laughs> I think there will be
0: uh, protections on that. There must be. Yeah, hopefully. There's a lot more to mither than first meets the eye. Yeah. I think his character is important and has far more centrality than the extant texts and stories suggest. Yeah. In the Story Archaeology Archive, you'll find a number of discussions on this very topic And it's clear from the stories we have, and his name itself, that he represents the balance, the midpoint between this world and the other world. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is how he comes to be regarded as an arbiter, the judge of the flow between the worlds. There's one of my favourite stories. It's called Athenia the Unsociable. And in this story, he gives his name as meaning, what is owed is due. And the balance has to be restored by one method or another, and perhaps this is why he comes across sometimes as tricky, a shapeshifter.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: The more his older and I looked, the more we felt that many of his roles, his stories, had been in fact given to Malinan. Now, we wondered about this, and it could be that in post-Norman times, the role of a native Irish character who actually represented the balance of pre-Norman law just had to be kept minimal.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: But then there is his palace of trees on Brûlée.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: But yeah, Mither and Aden, it it's a very very long story and we've got at least three full podcasts plus textual translations articles in the story archive. Archaeology archive. And I will add the links to this podcast page. But Anne, your center is at the foot of that hill. So maybe you could just briefly give a shape to the story to whet the appetite of any listeners who are less familiar with it. It's fascinating. And it's the only one I know in Irish mythology that contains both time travel and cloning
1: <laughs> yeah time travel and cloning yes <laughs> um um yeah it is a huge story i mean there's so many tangents off it like like the streams off relay, like um actually there's uh as far as i know there's five streams off relay which i think may maybe reference to there's five prong spear but or not <laughs> i don't know um yes i was just remembering the story of Cormac's cup Presented as
0: a something of an allegorical story and a very likely candidate to be one of the tales where Mananan has replaced Mither. You'll find that there are five streams in that story. There are five streams on a hill. In the Cormac's Cup story, they're representing the rivers of poetic inspiration. Of course, it also locates Brilé as a place that exists in both worlds, just like Mither. Well, that's true. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. More to think about. I don't know. I'm just thinking. I've interrupted you anyway. So go on.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, we normally start the story with Fado, Fado up on Brie <laughs> which is down to the village and up the hill where s- sometime you can see, sometimes you can see Ishnok, Loch Cru, Sleep Carn Hill and Granard Moat. Um, there lived a king, Mither and his queen, Fumnok, who lived prosperously on Brie with their 150 foster boys and 150 foster girls. That grows and depending on our mood. <laughs> Ingh- and then we always tell them that Angus is their favourite, and and he thinks he's their true son. But one day, and in the hurling pitch, he gets told in a very ungentle manner that he's fostered too. And he approaches Mither, who admits it and brings him to see the Dagda and Ischnoc, and their father and uh, their father. And he insists that he must give Angus his due. And uh, then they decide to go to Bruna but Ekmer is there, and he won't want them there, so they have to trick him. And then Mither stays with Angus a while, and he gets injured trying to intervene in another altercation on the, on a hurling match. <laughs> so they, They're always fighting on hurling matches. Yeah, they
0: were dangerous events, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, I suppose you, the spirits get high in the middle of a match, you know? but um, and um, so he gets his eye injured. That means he can't be king because he's not complete. But uh, Diakhet comes along and fixes him. And then I think something happens with her in that time because he was like a really good judge and uh, everyone came to him, you know, for judgment before that. And uh, all his judgment goes out the window. And he announces that being fixed isn't enough and he wants the most beautiful woman in Ireland. And Angus has to traipse around the place looking for her. And he finds tane, who isn't keen at first. Uh, And then she agrees, or her father does. depending on what way you want to say it we like to kind of give the impression that maybe Tane isn't so innocent in it but anyway so her weight in gold is given to her people and uh, I often wondered the gold come from Brie Lay, you know because they talk about the gold under Brie Lay. but um Etienne quite likes Mither and he's quite beautiful, of course. And uh, so they stay there for a year and a day. And uh, Mither remembers suddenly that he has duties and he decides to go home to Brie where his first wife is waiting, none too happy. So we remind we remind our audience always that it's a time of different rules. Um, she was wise enough not to say anything and to be welcoming until Etienne did the awful thing of sitting on the chair of the woman of the house. Uh, and never sit. Never sit on the chair of the woman in the house if you know what's good for you. Because uh, you might end up being a puddle of water, which is exactly what happened to a (laughs) So Fumnak used her magic and uh, uh, turned her into a puddle of water. And then we we go to the audience usually, like, is that the end of a And, uh, you know, the children will well, go, oh, yeah, oh, and we're like, no, 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 because she's the attain of the rebirths, and the puddle began to dry up, and a worm was formed, and that worm grew and transformed into a beautiful butterfly with magical musical wings, and Fumnock was pleased enough until the butterfly, or Dragonfly, depending on where you read it, followed Mither everywhere and mesmerised and mithered him. Fumnak then created a storm and sent her off in the winds all over the country for three to seven hundred years or so. I know, it's quite, it's quite a
0: transformation. I mean, okay, so rules were different then, and there could be a second wife. But I, I have a certain sympathy for Full not because she was a, an established woman, a poet, an important and honoured woman for her skill and in her own right. And she really had to put up with a lot, uh, but yet she sticks to the letter of the law. As long as she doesn't touch or injure, the, the, the second wife. She can say what she likes and her transformation is absolutely sticking to the letter of the law because it's done with the word of the poet. Yes,
1: yes, yeah, yes.
0: And she continues to be honoured and she has to be a- a- accommodated. They can't just tell her to put things right. It's not that simple. And I think sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't help but feel a certain, um, Empathy with the firm knocked, yeah, which is probably <laughs> probably not fair.
1: <laughs> no, I I agree. I, I I think she she's she's not treated, she's not treated well in this the way the story is portrayed. And I actually I, I don't feel women are portrayed well in the story. You know. Um, So that's why we like to suggest that maybe they have stronger personalities. And, you know, we also remind people that these stories are written down by scribes and monks in a time when they were trying to convert people. So they'll have had an agenda when writing, you know.
0: Oh, yes. And their agenda was definitely not pro-women.
1: No, definitely not. You
0: know, uh, yeah. in the same way as Mither is minimized because of his uh, cent- centrality to the old pre Norman law, I think it's also true that women are being minimized because they were too strong in the old stories. And under Norman law, they don't have quite the same rights. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The the women were a little too feisty in the old stories for the post Norman taste. You
1: no, know, and and I see, and, and you'd imagine like these scribes, like I mean, because they would have, some of them would have been probably pagan, you know, just, just, you know, and then changed it to the new. They're cloisters, yeah. So they were kind of torn, I think, you know, between wanting to write down the stories for future generations and then. Wanting to give their own spin. I mean, like, look at all the times Patrick miraculously appears at the end of so many of our stories to convert, and then the translators of the old Irish—they had their own spin and agenda as well. Like, so, like, we we have to be careful when we're doing a retelling.
0: Oh yes, yes, we do have to be careful. I mean, his older and I used to refer to the whole baptism and death. Themes which we get in post-Norman stories, and so often you can be a sort of pagan hero or heroine, do miraculous, wonderful things, but then you have to be converted, and then you have to die because you can't be in the stories anymore. Uh, But on the other hand, I was being a bit unkind to the cloistered men. We have to remember
1: that early Irish monasticism included women and men together. Yes, well, that's true too, and which is, I mean, like, is probably why we have the stories. Do you know, like somewhere else, they've lost their stories because they didn't. Do you know they they were different. They they were different here. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh yes, there was a recognition and a need to keep that uh, narrative of the people. But look, we better go on because uh, you know it's a long story, and it isn't over. Mither is miserable and searches for his lost love for
1: what was it? About a thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> Thereabouts, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so attain is gone in the wind, and the first time she lands at Boen, yeah and Angus recognizes her as one of his own, one of the two of the Danon, and he makes a flowery bower for the butterfly and tries to undo Fumnox's magic, and he manages to change her by night into a woman, conveniently enough, but by day she's a butterfly. <laughs> oh, that's an old one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, we have great fun with that because, um, you know, we're dressing up and it is usually a tain and I just keep repeating the day and night and day and night and making her spin, uh, you know, depending on the, my mood. <laughs> So, oh, that's, so that's a, that, that, that is a, a, a one that gets people thinking. But, um, Fumnok, anyway, then finds out that Atain is there and Angus is thinking of returning her to Mither. So she brews up another storm and sends her off for another three to seven hundred years. And there are sightings of her all over the place, even as far away as the Bear Peninsula. Eventually, the tired butterfly or dragonfly, whichever story you read, lands on the rafters in the big hall of Aumaca Armagh, where, Atara is ruling, and they're having a great big out party for some reason or other. Atane falls from the rafters and into the cup of Atara's wife, and that's actually Atara's wife. There's another woman not dead but we don't even know her name <laughs> you know. Anyway, so is this the end of atain No for she is a Tain of the Rebirths. So, nine months after Itara's wife had a baby girl and she decides to name her Itain and she grows up to be a beautiful girl and maybe even the most beautiful woman in Ireland. So beautiful they decide that she must marry the High King Oki and Tara, and she does. Um, and we don't, when we're telling it, don't really tend to go off on the other tangents which are quite fascinating but you know the story's so long. <laughs> um
0: yeah, I think the only thing I'd like to mention of that part of the story is maybe, I love the way that, um, Mither introduces himself to her and calls her Bayfind, as, uh, you know, which is definitely he's now associating her as an, another world woman, as although she's always belonged to the other world and is just being brought into our world now and again. And reminding her of who, who she truly is, Beafend—quite an ancient name—and I find that interesting. It's also a beautiful piece of poetry.
1: It is, yeah, actually, it is lovely. It is beautiful. mither met her with like the fifty handmaidens at the river where she's washing her hair, and he tries to woo her with his beautiful poetry, which you were just talked about. <laughs> While there's a distant memory in her mind, she ultimately tells him she's married to Aki, and he won't agree to her leaving. Which is interesting too, actually. We talk about the Norman thing, but, um, so Mither appears in Tara and challenges Oki to a game of Fihil, which kings would have been trained in it as a battle strategy. So Oki would have been good at it. Oki wins the first one or is let win. Who knows? He demands a forfeit of 50 white horses and Mither d- does it very easily. And then they play again and Oki wins the next one. Or is that? I don't know. And demands a forest fully grown, which Mither does quite easily. And then they play again, and Uki gets greedy on winning. And knowing this person he is powerful, he he decides he's going to get the most from him. And he demands a road in the bog. And then Mither is not pleased, or maybe he is. <laughs> I don't know. You never know, Mither. And he tells Ucky not to watch, which is kind of like like telling a child to don't stick a pee up your nose. So, uh okay sent a spy and um, Mither spotted the spy and was quite angry and as he had asked more of more of his people than than he ever wanted to uh, in creating this road and he was really annoyed and he put a fault in the road so then Mither arrived back in Tara and the spy was busy telling how Mither had stood on a mound of cloaks as big as a hill telling the people what to do when creating the road, and all the men of Ireland were there, and more importantly, they were ploughing the land in a different way, and the oxen did not have the harness on the head but across their shoulder. And he described it in great detail. And then Uki was well pleased and adapted that way and became Uki the Ploughman. Then Mither came in and insisted on another game, and uh, he won this time. And he demanded a kiss from Etain, as he believed that was all it would take for her to remember her life in Briley. And now knew that he probably shouldn't have played with this powerful being, and he told Mither to come back in a month. And in that month, he barricaded up Tara, prepared to fight for Etain. And while they were all waiting, two swans came up from the middle of the fort where Etain had been barricaded in and flew away to Brele. Now um, we normally end the story there, and tell people to go and search because there's more. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it's a, it. It gets a bit complicated after that, but there's just one thing before I want to talk about the ending, is uh, the road just a little bit because there's another beautiful piece of poetry there. That is written about the building of the road, and it, it it kind of suggests that it was it was more work than he'd expected, and was a huge effort and a, almost a dangerous thing for him to be doing. It was almost dangerous to his own well-being and his his power and even his existence in the other world. It's quite a a, a striking piece of poetry, and again, it's difficult to tell why, but other than that, it's highly significant.
1: Yeah, the road—it kind of was the undoing of Mither and power of the man, because uh, o- uh, Oki now was ploughman, and 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 it had nearly the destruction of the landscape as we knew it at that time. So there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of things you can go into it. Yeah,
0: yeah, there's some, there is something there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it is highly significant that moment. It's really important, I think. Mm. we better just mention where the cloning comes in when i'm telling the story I, I i want to leave it out and then i think nah cloning that that's that's kind of fun you know the fifty-eighteen. so you
1: just finish it off for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah so it is um quite fascinating midra is gone with the tane to brille and you would think well that's the end of the story but then okay uh, being a man wasn't going to leave it that way. And <laughs> and he, he he decides to go after Mither. But in, while he's doing it, he destroys all the She-Mounds all around the place. And it wasn't for that whole incident, maybe they wouldn't have been destroyed. So that's another thing there. And uh, Mither comes out in prelay and tells Oki, just stop destruction. And Oki says he wants to attain. And Mither says, you can have her if you can recognize her. And he sends out 50 attains, the clones. Oki thinks he'll... Nor by the way she pours and gets them all to pour the drink and uh, but he ends up bringing his daughter home who Etain was pregnant with when Mither took.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really interesting story and although I think when you're telling children it gets quite complicated. There's several things. One, there's the fifties. Now fifty turns up whether it's fifty or hundred and fifty. Fifty just means a full number, doesn't it? There's always 50s, so it means it's complete. So yeah, I'm not surprised there are 50 adines You're right, though, this digging up of the mounds, this there's a, a feeling that the world is changing for good. It's so hard to just let it wash over you and not try to just uh, put our modern view on it. It could be a lot of things, but there's definitely something so significant. And yeah, the digging up of the she-mounds, again, is that the old ways have gone. And if he wants, wants to keep that other world fertility and prosperity, then it's best not done. There, there, there is definitely something there, which is about loss and nostalgia. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, it. like there's so many levels to the story, really, isn't there? <laughs> you know, it's a great story and it's not an easy one to tell, <laughs> as we keep saying from, from a storyteller's point of view. The intriguing characters have some really complicated motivations.
1: Oh, they do. And every time you read over the text, you, you you start wondering about different motivations. Like, as we we touched on there, did everything go wrong for the two of the because Mither was messing with nature at the behest of a human king? Like, did he break all the rules? <laughs> do you know him that was the judge? In a way, he's lost
0: his connection with the other world, which is Bae Fiend. Mither has, then... Yucky has. So if you lose that connection, you lose fertility and prosperity in the land. And yeah, maybe he has. He's done too much, which is against his own nature. But yeah, uh, the story has a few. Uh, I just wanted to bring this in. As you know, my colleague, Professor Ralph Kenner has recently launched a major international arts and research project celebrating women in Irish mythology. Now it's a very exciting project and open to everyone from now until the end of October, and all details can be found on the story archaeology website. But why I brought that in at that point is that it's got lot. This story has got lots of central female characters: Fulnacht, Adine, Etta's wife, who doesn't even have a name. There are strong women, yet they're problematical. But I think that makes them very interesting. You know, what, what do they say to us now? Might make some interesting stories or artwork. As I mentioned earlier, I do have a soft spot for film Knock. She is a respected senior poet, put in a legal, but totally unacceptable position. And I don't care whether that is a modern viewpoint. I still, I think it would have, it's there in the story. <laughs> they can't deal with her either. They, they, they cannot just, um, you know they have to listen to Foamlock. She can't be just ignored.
1: Yeah, uh, they, they 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 can't they can't deal with her. And like, I mean, they she gets the short straw. And like, if if you look further in the, you know, if you follow the story on further, and first you find like that in one that she gets beheaded by Angus, or she's burned on the hill of Prelay and like, it's so unfair because I mean, she was a woman who was left to care for her people. You know. On her own, while Midrasoff gallivanting, and, and you know, and and yet she was so powerful in her own right because she could change ten into a puddle, command the wind, like you could just write a whole lot of stories just about her and her thinking and her what was done to her, you know. Yeah, she's there's a lot to explore
0: with her. But anyway, look. What do you make of AD? If you were going to create a piece of writing or use her in a modern artwork, how do you do that? She comes across as passive. So what you we were talking about, how do you present her to girls today?
1: Well, we tried to show that there's maybe a possibility that Atein is not at all passive, that maybe she knew exactly what she was doing when she sat in Fumluck's chair and she was claiming a throne for herself and she was making decisions to have the most prosperous life she could have in the time she was in. Like um, that, maybe she orchestrated getting a king like Midder and another Enoki, and maybe she was happy that they were destroying themselves over her. You know, like that, maybe there's a lot more to her. You, you often wonder, like, why were they so mesmerized and obsessed by her? Like, they're nearly, like, magically mesmerized by her. Like, the, maybe she's hugely important. And do you remember uh, when we were talking before, we were saying, like, that maybe she's like. Th- Maybe she's the Holy Grail in the Arthur stories. Like maybe, maybe, maybe that's what she's like. She's maybe she inspired that. She's everything they want. They're they, they're they're destroying everything to get her. Like so, it's nearly like she's the fertility of the land, and um, and maybe Fumnock is what's dangerous to the fertility of the land. That she's uncertain, unpredictable weather. I don't know. There's so many messages you can take from it, and oh, you could create great artwork actually from just even from that thought and uh it just it's it's such a brilliant story. You can get across important truths that if we mess with the land too much, if we get greedy. We get destroyed.
0: I think you're right. And you've got something there. She does represent the fertility of the land. I'm quite sure about it because of her name as much as anything. Uh, Isolde and I did a lot of work on the name Ethlin, Ethlu, the mother of Lou, Lou himself. There's a later Ethna who refuses to drink anything from the milk of a cow and can practically live on air. She's another baptism and death one. The word itself, Isolde, uh, tells me, means a a nut, a kernel, the seed that will grow. So, she is the seed that can be planted. She is connected with cows and seeds. So, in some ways, she's very symbolic. And we know from the stories of the poets that if you want the land to be prosperous and fertile, you must listen to your poets and keep keep the ways between the other world and this world open so that there is always renewal and balance so they have to possess aiding or they don't possess prosperity and fertility but when they begin to fight over it they lose prosperity just in the same as really the story of my Torah is the you know about the loss of prosperity in the land and its rediscovery when the Lascar and is brought back into the land. So you could actually say that the Aideen's a bit of a cow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, cows are so important to Ireland, going right back. <laughs> yeah.
0: Beffin gives it away. She is the symbol of other world prosperity that must be maintained. Yes. Yeah. The climate change message, although it's in a very different form, is central in so many of the stories.
1: Yes. And when you go against, yeah, when you go against us, it's, it's not on the surface, but it's. It's their version of it, their understanding of the need to keep the land green and growing. They really had a sense of place, really, in, the, in that they knew that if when you mess with it. Oh, yeah.
0: Look, maybe we should talk about that other important heritage centre, which you work closely with. And uh, it's also in Longford. And it's the location of my favourite part of the top market. That's Corley.
1: Oh yes, Corley, trackway, it's hugely important. So like in in that centre, there's a, a road from the Iron Age preserved for viewing. And of course, that's the causeway over Moin Lovriga. And in, in this amazing building in the middle of the bog, because the building itself is amazing when you walk into it. It's so important, this piece of road, because so many similar roads were destroyed, you know, when we industrialised our bogs. And who knows what information we've lost because of that but this one has been kept and examined and studied and the guides are so passionate about it and it's a wonderful place to visit there's also lovely walks on the site which is important because the flora and fauna there too it's a haven of biodiversity and yeah we we are connected with them we were with them at Sowen, and and they're coming over for Bilberry Sunday and Longford Tourism has recognized the connection and there's a trail from Brele to Corley so the signage is up Brilé and finally it's up in Corley and there's finger signs meant to go along the trail so um, Corley is only 10 minutes drive from Marda over the mountain <laughs> that's what Brilé is called here it's called a mountain <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well that's it's, it's significant importance is that of a mountain <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes yeah definitely I mean like the story says that mid made this cause over the bog at the behest of Oki, and like strangely enough like there was a king Oki and tara around the time of the dating the road and there's there is a fault in the road that fault was either like the road was either there for a specific purpose or event you know it wasn't meant to last so um like it's interesting how the story that is ancient and the archaeology from the 1990s are kind of tying in maybe we're tying them in ourselves but it just there's an awful lot of coincidences it's almost
0: as though when that robe was built, it seems to be, it could have even been built for a telling of that story, you know, that it was an important story and maybe there was a need for that story to be told. And the reason I say that is because you, you've got similar things with the uh, Brickrew. Now, it's interesting that Brickrew's feast is a very old story indeed. But there was, when they were doing some archaeology at Dundrum a few years ago, they found footprint of a a, a, a feasting hall which dates to about the time of the story of uh that brick was first uh written down and you do wonder whether in fact that's that the, the understanding the knowledge of that story existed and it may have been told at that feasting hall maybe at the uh The first feast in the hall, and maybe there is some connection that the stories were referenced and known.
1: It's difficult to tell.
0: Yeah. It it is important, both in terms of the story and archaeology.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. But there's definitely a
0: connection. And and we'll probably never know other than what I keep saying is there's something extremely significant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know. Yeah, it's it's like this. Um, I don't know. We're just nearly getting there, nearly getting there, but you never do, <laughs> you know, because it's
0: <laughs> no. Well, you can never, you never can. All you can do is speculate and wonder, and find significant connections, the things that make it important today, the stories. Had significance then for the people at the time and the problems they had. And we're finding that they have significance for us today in a completely different time with the problems that we face now. Yes. And they still speak.
1: Oh, they're definitely. There's
0: one more topic I just want to mention since we're both part of the Heritage in Schools scheme. It's a good scheme and it works. And I thought it might be just nice to have a quick chat and maybe promote the scheme a bit.
1: Yeah. It is, and we're delighted to be part of it. It's really well run and it's easy for schools and specialists. I mean, uh, schools just book us and then register the booking and then the visit is part paid by the Heritage Council. So it's great for us because our fees are set and we're guaranteed payment. And it's great for schools because they've had a vast amount of access to so many specialists at really good value. Um, And the support we're getting from the Heritage School team is really invaluable too.
0: Mm. And over the past two years, I've been mostly working with them virtually. Um, I mean, I was one of the first few to start developing online programs with Zoom follow-up se- sessions. And that's really been, I, that's where my real learning has been. It's been a quite an education finding ways to keep storytelling and drama activities act, interactive and vibrant, especially with infants over Zoom. You've got to break that fourth wall and it is possible. But nevertheless, I do look forward to getting back into the classroom. <laughs> Have
1: you any favourite heritage in school stories? Yeah, well, I've had very interesting visits, and I did get back to a few, like since, since, uh, since, uh, since lockdown is over. But I, um, I was in a school in Tara recently, and because we do local history and stories um, I got to do what I love best which is research the area <laughs> and, uh, and I and I took the time to visit Tara and that was lovely that was like a little bonus <laughs> um, and Annette was booked recently in the Gale School for a series of five the, the series of five sessions which is really good value for the school and uh, she worked on their garden and murals so she brought in her art as well and lots of biodiversity sessions with them Um so yeah we offer biodiversity local history mythology and I'm sure we'll expand uh, as we keep upskilling because we love learning, (laughs) as you do. So, yeah, we're all like that.
0: (laughs) And now in-person events are possible again. I really want to get going again myself, although I do think there's a lot to be said for virtual sessions that you could offer such a lot of material that I've found that it's uh, a way of working with schools that I'd never thought of before. But you mentioned Bilbury Sunday. Um, tell us a bit more about what you've got planned at uh, Ardar.
1: Yeah, so um, Bilberry Sunday is uh, the last Sunday in July. So um, it was one of the rights of the king was to get the bilberries from from Briley. And uh, oh, I suppose it had to be 2011, I think, we started walking again on the hill to bring that memory back because they used to actually go up there even into the 60s until Quilch came along and uh, the forest was put there and uh, you know the bilberries kind of <laughs> disappeared but they're coming back now so every year we meet with our local legend Brendan Farrell he's a guide and uh, we uh, meet at the GA pitch at 11 on the last Sunday of July every year so if you miss this year come next year <laughs> and uh, we go for a walk and he talks to us as we go around and then uh, This year we're having a picnic in the neighbourhood park and a talk by Anthony Murphy of Mythical Ireland uh, on the connections between Brunabogna and Brele. So that should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. It's it's one of our nice events that we kind of do for ourselves. (laughs) But loads of people join us, so that's great. After that, we're hoping to do a collaboration with Corley. We're planning to do a telling of the wooing a tale in a kind of a pageant with the first half in Arda Heritage and Creativity Centre and the second half in Corlea and we're planning to do that during Heritage Week so we're kind of that's kind of in the brains and in the discussions at the moment so we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, that sounds really, really interesting. Well, look, I've enjoyed talking with you today. It's so good to have a chance to catch up. And I know we share a lot in common, so I'm always pleased to talk with you.
1: Yeah, me too. I love to, I love when I meet you. <laughs> and let's hope we get to, to
0: a chance to sort of share our activities again. And um, obviously, I'll put all the links to your site your website and uh, all the links to the events up on the podcast so we can say to everybody if you find yourself in Longford or if you decide to come to Longford, a very good place to go is the Ardar Heritage and Creative Centre and well thank you Anne it's been great talking with you
1: and I hope to catch up with you again soon Well thank you very much Chris for inviting me, I really enjoyed it (laughs) I love talking about Mithinatay with you (laughs) Thank you.
0: I've enjoyed it too. And I hope we haven't been too indulgent, but <laughs> it's good to have fun. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this Stories in the Landscape conversation. Remember, on www.storyarchaeology.com, you will be able to access the whole archive of Story Archaeology podcasts. You can also explore a wide selection of my audio and video stories for children, as well as a range of project and support materials for schools. Also, discover information on a number of international arts events and competitions with which Story Archaeology is closely linked. There will be another Stories in the Landscape conversation along soon.